1: Our scripture for today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 19. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, although I'm free from all people, I make myself a slave to all people to recruit more of them. "...I act like a Jew to the Jews so I can recruit Jews. I act like I'm under the law to those under the law so I can recruit those who are under the law, though I myself am not under the law. I act like I'm outside the law to those who are outside the law so I can recruit those outside the law, though I'm not outside the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ." I act weak to the weak so I can recruit the weak. I have become all things to all people so I could save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the gospel so I can be a partner with it. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now Lord, in these moments, would you speak to us today? Would you always stretch us? to think new thoughts, to feel new feelings, to expand our hearts, our minds, our souls to receive more of your truth, more of your revelation, more of you. We pray that happens today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to share a little bit of a a personal story and thoughts that it might uh, be familiar to you. Uh, When Kelly, my wife, and I were dating and things were getting more serious and it looked like marriage was on the horizon for us, we talked more and more, it seemed like, about traditions from our families. Traditions from her family that were meaningful to her, traditions from my family that were meaningful to me. And, And it seemed like we frequently were coming back to Christmas traditions, which, Apparently, we were both important to both of us, and we soon discovered we're, we're uh, very different. Uh, Kelly's family always has the big meal on Christmas evening, and they eat cold leftovers on Christmas Day. <laughs> it's barbaric. <laughs> Cold leftovers on Christmas Day. They, they opened the Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve. My family opened them on Christmas Day, showing much greater patience and restraint. <laughs> Kelly's family, uh, well, a variety of things. Kelly's family and my family both uh, had Christmas stockings, like I'm sure you all did but the contents were significantly different. Now, I'm not going to get into that right now because theirs are just strange. But, but the bigger debate, which continues raging to this day, is are the things that you put in someone's Christmas stocking supposed to be wrapped or not? This is a major issue still today. Now, strange above all strange, as if these heresies aren't enough, Kelly's family has never eaten chocolate at Christmas. Her dad is allergic to chocolate, so nobody in the house got to eat chocolate at Christmas, whereas in the Rains household, chocolate is like one of the main courses of Christmas. Now, even weirder, in Kelly's family, at every holiday meal, they have a relish tray on the table, which includes pickles and olives. Don't nod as as though that's okay. That's not okay. That's not okay. Now we've obviously combined our households, we just celebrated our 32nd anniversary, we've compromised, we've added things, some things have been left out, and now we have a new tradition that my children think is the normal one. We now uh, are at church on Christmas Eve, because I work on Christmas Eve, so the meal is appropriately on Christmas Day, I won that one. Christmas meals now include chocolate and a relish tray. It was a compromise. Our stocking tradition has gotten more big and absurd, but we still debate whether we should wrap things or not. And we've added lots of new strange traditions. Now, a new evolution has happened in my household. My children are now adults, and now they have brought significant others into the equation. Uh, So now we've added homemade cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning because of my daughter-in-law. That's a pretty good win, I think. For a short season, we had added green bean casserole to the big meal because my wife was under the impression that my daughter-in-law likes it. That was good for me because I like it, but nobody else in my family did. Turns out she doesn't like it either, so another loss to me. And now we've added the the young man that will be my future son-in-law. My daughter's getting married uh, New Year's Eve, um, and he doesn't eat cheese. What kind of person doesn't eat cheese? (laughs) I'm not, I'm not going to compromise my cheese at Christmas or any other time. So what's the point of all this? And you're laughing because it happened in your family too, I have a feeling. The point is that when new people become part of an established group, and it could be any kind of group, it could be a family, it could be a team, it could be a workplace environment, it could be a church. Anytime someone new comes into the picture, inevitably the group has to assimilate and adapt and welcome all the unique things that they bring to it. If a group, like a church, is welcoming and hospitable, it will also embrace and accept and even celebrate the new things that new people bring to the family. It requires a bit of adaptation. I may have shared this before. When I was in seminary, I volunteered pretty frequently in a, in a local soup kitchen. I worked in the kitchen. Um, and oftentimes we would get uh, donations from catered events, you know, the things that were leftovers. So we get big trays of this or that. It was never enough for everybody that we needed to serve. And we had this chef who was an old army cook. He was just sort of a genius at making things work. So as soon as he'd look over what we got that day, he would send me back to the pantry with a list of things to bring out that were different, always different ingredients than what was in what had been donated, but he had a plan. He could see how if you added a little of this and a little of this, it would stretch and it would be something new, but it would meet the needs, right? I think it's a little bit like that. When someone new becomes part of a group, they're like the new ingredient, right? They've added something delicious to the flavor, and now it is something else. In music and in uh, fine dining, I think they call it fusion, right? When you bring two different things together that you would not normally put together. This happens to groups all of the time. Teams change when they get a new coach or a new player. Schools change every year as they send off graduates and receive new freshmen, which is happening this month at a lot of universities. Churches change when they have a new staff person come or a new pastor uh, or when we will receive new members. But here's also a truth, right? While all groups seem to have to deal with change and adaptation, some groups resist it. There are certain kinds of groups that just refuse to change. They are rigid. They expect conformity. They're unwelcoming and un- in unless you are already who they are or are willing to become. You know what I'm saying here? That, that if you want to be in our family, you need to become like our family. If you want to be part of our group, you need to become like our group. There are certain groups that just, they just reject difference. They only accept those who are willing to be adherents to what is already the, no, the norm. So, so I just want us to reflect for a moment. Think about your experience here. Who, who are we? Are we the kind of group that is willing to receive and adapt to, to the newcomer? Or do we expect when the newcomer comes you better be like us? You better become like us. Think like we think. Worship like we worship right become like us are we open to what the newcomer brings as a gift and think about a gift for a moment like we're talking about a Christmas a gift really isn't a gift if you just stick it in the closet right a gift really isn't a gift until you incorporate it into your life it becomes part of of who you are do we receive the newcomer as a gift or do we demand a certain kind of rigid homogeneity There's a a theologian by the name of Jürgen Moltmann who writes, the homogeneous community, meaning everybody's the same, is not really a natural community at all. It's a community for the common suppression of fear through permanent self-corroboration, which means that it is a highly unnatural community. Communities where everybody thinks alike, looks alike, acts alike, isn't natural. (laughs) There is such diversity in our world. Well, today is, is the third part of a three-part sermon series on biblical hospitality. And when we think about hospitality in a general way, we've said this every week, we think about the way we greet people, right? A handshake, a smile, can I get something for you? Would you like food or drink? How, how can I make you comfortable, right? All of that. But we said in the first week that really, before you ever have the opportunity to greet someone, well, you have to do what? Anybody? Invite, right? How many of us go places that we don't know we're welcome, right? That that it starts with biblical hospitality starts with an invitation. So then once somebody, if they've been invited, comes, and I don't mean everybody has to have a receive a specific invitation, but there has to be that general sense, this is a place where somebody would be welcome. And then when they come, the way we greet them is also biblical hospitality, the way we make someone feel wanted and welcomed and affirmed, and loved, and you're safe here, right? So I would say that there are actually three phases to biblical hospitality. First one, invitation. Second one, welcome. But the third one, which is where we are today, which is I think probably the hardest of all, is adaptation. That once somebody has come and become part of our group, how do we embrace the changes that must happen, because everyone who comes to us has a unique history, a unique culture, a unique set of gifts. How willing are we to move into phase three, to adapt to anybody who comes to be part of it? Let me just be incredibly clear on this point. Biblical hospitality requires a willingness, an openness to change, to adapt, to evolve, to embrace, and to become. And let's just be honest for a moment. Can we? Change is hard. Right? There is something in us that likes the, the, the expected. At Christmas, we want the traditions that we know. Right? That's what we want. There's comfort in those. That's why we resist change. Sometimes we fight against it. Sometimes just difference. Just difference. Whatever the difference is, feels threatening because it's unfamiliar. Remember, Jesus got crucified because he was different. He didn't meet the expectations of the religious leaders. Remember, we said this every week of the series. Jesus said, when I was hungry, hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He, He said he was one with the hungry, the thirsty, the poor, the imprisoned, the stranger, the sick. That doesn't sound very much like the religious establishment, does it? They wanted somebody that looked and thought and acted like them. All summer in our Summer of the Spirit, we talked a lot about the evolution of Christianity from what was originally kind of a Jewish sect to increasingly a Gentile movement. Gentile just means non-Jew. But they had different customs and traditions. And so the book of Acts wrestles with what does it mean for us to embrace people who are very different than we are Difference sometimes is hard Congregationalist Pastor Lillian Daniel writes any idiot can find God in a sunset isn't that comforting <laughs> finding God in the woman sitting next to you whose baby cries during the entire sermon takes grit <laughs> right embracing difference sometimes isn't easy Pastors know this phenomenon, I think, particularly well. Uh, When a pastor has been with a congregation for a length of time, congregations get used to that particular pastor. They get comfortable with that pastor's mannerisms, their strengths, their weaknesses. Congregations learn how to celebrate what the pastor does well and, and how to tolerate the things that are a little off. Thank you for that, by the way. inevitably in every church, there are times when there's a pastoral change, right? And everybody knows that, that, that the old pastor isn't going to be like the new pastor. The new pastor isn't going to be like the old pastor. And yet, because we've gotten comfortable with something, sometimes it's not always easy to fully embrace that the new pastor might be a little different. I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me through the years, You've got some big shoes to fill. To which I always respond, have you looked at my feet? <laughs> I got some big feet, right? But what's the implication? We want you to be like our last pastor. My very first pastoral assignment was to First Hand Methodist Church of Winter Park, just up the road. I was their associate pastor. I'd only been there about a month. Uh, I walked in the break room. I poured myself a cup of coffee and one of the, uh, the, the staff was alarmed. what are you doing? And I said, what? She goes, you don't drink coffee. I I did drink coffee. I do drink coffee. I've been drinking coffee since I was 18. I drink a lot of coffee. The pastor before me didn't drink coffee. That's a silly little thing, isn't it? And yet, we do that. When I was at my last church about a month, I followed a pastor who was younger than me and he had young children uh, who apparently were adorable because he liked to tell stories about them all the time and the congregation loved that. Uh, So much so that one day a member of the church came, I'd been there about a month, he goes, we really love it when the pastor talks about uh, tells cute stories about their children. And I said, I'm sorry, my children are adult. They haven't lived with me for years and they haven't been cute for longer than that. And she said, I know, but still. (laughs) I, I never figured out what I was supposed to do with that. On my last Sunday at my last church, I brought a packing box full of my shoes and I put it on the altar. And I said, I just want to assure everyone this morning that I'm taking every pair of shoes I own with me. So your new pastor doesn't need to try to fill any of them. I'm pretty sure she brought her own. And I think it's been pretty obvious since I got here, I've not been trying to wear Bob's shoes uh, or Jim's shoes or Tom's shoes or Gary's shoes or Wayne's shoes or names that you don't know, right? And I I, with all sincerity, all sincerity would say with gratitude that you've never asked me to, that you've from the beginning been open to what I bring to the table as weird as it is sometimes. Uh, And I'm thankful for that. I think today's scripture is helpful on this topic. It was written by the apostle Paul who called himself the apostle to the Gentiles, to those who weren't part already of uh, the covenant relationship with God. I read from the, the, the CEB, CEV version, the Con- contemporary English version a moment ago, uh, but I wanna read from the message for just a moment. Paul says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to all and all, any and all, in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in any attempt, in my attempts, to lead those I meet into a God saved life. Paul stayed grounded in Christ, right? His theological convictions didn't waver. But he was willing to personally change and adapt depending on who he was with. When he was a Jew, Jew, and when he was with Jews, he behaved like a Jew. He talked like a Jew. He ate like a Jew. He dressed like a Jew. When he was with Gentiles, non-Jews, he did the same. He acted like a Gentile. He ate like a Gentile. He spoke like a Gentile. If this rule really mattered to somebody, he followed it. If he was around people that didn't even know that rule existed, he didn't. Why? So he would have the opportunity to adapt to the situation, connect with them and lead them to know Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9, through 23. Paul says, I have become all things to all people. I've become adaptable. So I could save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the gospel so I can partner with it. And as a result, The church, Christianity, the movement of Christ followers grew and grew and shifted from being primarily a Jewish phenomenon to an increasingly Gentile phenomenon. And as Christianity evolved, it became primarily Gentile, yet it continued to be grounded in the the Jewish scriptures following a Jewish messiah. And this just kept continuing as Christianity spread throughout the known world. Every time it encountered a new culture, it had to adapt. They had to learn how to relate relate to the beliefs and practices and philosophies of Greece and Rome and Northern Europe and Northern Africa. They had to adapt to the, the political circumstances of the Roman Empire. What does it mean to be a Christian where the emperor says he's God? And as Christianity has spread throughout history, it's had to adapt to new languages, to new customs and new traditions. In fact, many, 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 if not most of the traditions we cherish as Christians used to come from another culture or religion. We co-opted them and we changed them and we made them our own. Ruth Haley Barton describes this as, as transforming community, a community that's willing to transform. She says, one of the dynamics of transforming community is enough otherness in the group that we can actually be challenged to stretch and grow and find ways to open to Christ as he is uniquely present in the other Uh, This summer, I quoted a man named Jason Biase who wrote about the changing church in northern England. I should have saved this quote for today, so I'm just going to use it again. He says, God speaks to the church by whom God sends to the church. Did you catch that line? God speaks to the church through whom God sends to the church. Those who are arriving, our guests, are a claim on those welcoming us. So those welcoming have to listen very carefully. What is God saying? How do we respond? I think these are important questions for us to ask. I just want you to think about how we do ministry here at First Church Orlando. Think about the world around us. Are we a mirror of the world around us? Or are we not quite a reflection of the world around us there was a a time where just about everybody was a Christian of some sort not everybody but the vast majority of the population ask somebody you know what kind of Christian are you they would tell you they're Baptist they're Methodist they're Presbyterian right and if you found somebody was a Methodist the Methodist was a Methodist was a Methodist right It didn't matter if you were a small church Methodist a big church Methodist we're all just Methodists but the world's gotten a bit more nuanced than that And fewer and fewer people out in the world would call themselves any kind of Christian, use any kind of label. Cameron's been talking about the nuns here lately. And think about the world immediately around us. It used to be that Sundays were set aside culturally for church. Is that true anymore? No. And yet, when do we do most of our programming? On Sundays. We still act as though it is true. Increasingly, the world right around us has become increasingly diverse. We've been a little slower to become diverse. Downtown Orlando is filled now with young residents, but that youthfulness isn't necessarily represented in our attendance, in our membership. We keep planning ministry and worship as though there's people out there in the world that still think and act like us. If we're going to go out and invite the community in, if we're going to invite the community to become part of us, how willing are we to change and to adapt and become? What if biblical hospitality requires us not only to invite and welcome, which we must do, but to actually become something new? Maybe the new creation Jesus talked about to grow and adapt to those around us, those who need a place to find God, a place to be welcomed, a place to be safe, a place to love. What kind of hospitality will we offer? Let us pray. And so, God, would you make us like clay in the potter's hand, malleable, shapeable, movable. Lord, bring People to us. Bring gifts to this church, we pray, and may we be open and ready to receive them. Lord, guide us, shape us, lead us as we become the church you would have us be. Help us to continue all that is good and strong and help us to embrace all that we need to embrace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, We invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.